So keep Daniel 5 open. So Daniel's world was, wasn't it, in many ways, utterly different to ours. It sounds like something out of a fairy tale or Thousand and One Nights. Weird dreams, palaces, magicians, evil kings. But in other ways, his world was not that different to ours. Believers in the one true God were a despised minority. Standing for truth was a real risk. It could be dangerous to, know, to be known as a believer, not unlike today. It is now odd to honour God, and reputation and careers, and in some places lives, are at risk. Uh, a couple of uh, things in the news recently, a Christian social worker, a social work student in Sheffield, made a comment in a private post on Facebook saying he disagreed with same-sex marriage. He was kicked off his social work course. And although the Court of Appeal has recently agreed that he's done nothing wrong and broken no law, it's unclear whether he will be allowed to ever work as a social worker. Uh, Recently again, an Anglican vicar, John Parker, who some might know, has resigned not only from his post as school governor, but also from the Church of England, uh, due to the acceptance of the transition of a primary school child at a CAB school, with very little consultation, and he's had very little support for his views from his local bishop. So why doesn't God do anything about it? What is going on? Uh, Whether we like it or not, as Bible-believing Christians, we are now a despised minority. And as we saw in the last talk, that is nothing new. And we saw how one young man, Daniel, coped with life in such an alien and hostile situation. Now in this talk, uh, sorry, in the next talk, we will see how he continued to cope through a lifetime of pressure. But in this uh, talk, we are going to focus less on Daniel and quite rightly, more on the God that he serves. Daniel was an exceptional man. He was a great scholar. He was extremely brave and with a God-given gift of understanding dreams. Now, most of us are not like that, are we? Uh, We're ordinary women with average lives and unexceptional gifts. But we serve the same God as Daniel. And what we learn about him here can help us as we try to live our ordinary lives for him in our hostile world. Now, chapter 5 takes place many years later, and we learn that nothing has changed. If anything, things have got worse, despite Daniel's years of faithful service at the heart of government. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel's first boss, has died. And very bluntly, we are now told that Belshazzar is now king. In fact, there have now been several kings in between either assassinated or deposed before Belshazzar's father, Nabonidus, came to the throne after yet another coup. But Nabonidus upset the Babylonian clergy by wanting the moon god Sin to be top god instead of Marduk. This is the advantage of having an Assyriologist as a son, knowing these kind of things. Very useful. And he was encouraged to relocate to a desert 500 miles away from Babylon, leaving Belshazzar in charge. So in verse 1, we meet King Belshazzar, another arrogant, power-mad Babylonian king. Yet another one. If it's possible, even more arrogant and idolatrous than Nebuchadnezzar. Someone who hopefully makes even our arrogant, power-mad and idolatrous leaders look pretty tame. 
What are we to think when yet another arrogant anti-Christian voice is heard on the TV? Or Richard Dawkins produces yet another wildly popular book. There's one been out this week called Outgrowing God. Don't bother to read it. When our leaders mock our God and pass yet more legislation that promotes things that God tells us are offensive, they look so powerful. We look so weak. Well, Daniel 5 tells us what to think. First of all, don't panic. God warns the arrogant. And Belshazzar was arrogant. As I've said, in fact, he wasn't even really the king. His father was. But he took over all the trappings of kingship and enjoyed the royal lifestyle. Here he throws a lavish feast for all his nobles, a thousand of them. And they're drinking, getting drunk. Did you notice that in verse 1? They're drinking his wine, his wine, his nobles. He's very, very arrogant. So far, he's showing his arrogance towards his father, the real king, by claiming his title and entertaining his nobles. Towards those nobles, he's showing his arrogance by claiming, um, by showing off the extent of his wealth and power with this huge feast. To the Medes and Persians, who were at this stage besieging the city, which isn't even mentioned here, which we'll find out later, Belshazzar is so certain of victory that he continues his feast. His arrogance then moves a step further in verses 2 to 4. His arrogance is now shown towards God. Nebuchadnezzar had taken the treasured gold and silver goblins from the temple in Jerusalem. Belshazzar now orders them to be brought to the feast so that he and his drunken cronies can drink from them and use them to toast the gods of Babylon. It is appallingly offensive and shows his utter contempt for the God of Israel. Again, it's the familiar arrogance of the powerful who think they can control everybody, can treat anything and anybody as they like, and who behave as if they are God. We're seeing a lot of that in politics at the moment, aren't we? Are there people like that in your life? We think of those who've been in the news quite recently, Harvey Epstein or Jeff Epstein. Now, they might be extreme examples, but we can all think of people who've abused their power to demean and abuse women. Or think of the bosses at Thomas Cook who've lined their own pockets while employees and travellers have suffered. People who push aside their creator and put themselves in his place. It's a common story, and God sees it. When we see the powerful mocking God, this passage reminds us that God sees. And here he warns Belshazzar by very dramatically pointing out some important truths, even before Daniel explains the mysterious writing. Belshazzar might ignore God, but God does not ignore Belshazzar. God warns him in verses 5 and 6. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the... As we're told in verses 22 and 23. God has always warned the arrogant. Every generation has its reminders. Weinstein, Epstein, Trump. 
We can pray that like Nebuchadnezzar, some of them might turn to God for help. It's too late for Epstein. That some will see what's happened to those like Harvey Weinstein when they've been exposed and tremble. But the truly arrogant will just keep on behaving as they always have. But they have been warned. God sees. God knows. And that is God, good to know, isn't it? But it's not just the Belshazzars and those other people we've mentioned that this applies to, is it? It's not just them who act like mini-gods. It's not even just those mini-dictators in the office who love bossing people around. It's us too, isn't it? Now, I don't know about you, but day by day, I live as though I know better than God. I do what I think is best without really considering sometimes what the Bible says. Day after day, I rely on myself rather than on him. And to be quite often, quite often I live as if I am the most important person in the world and that I am God of my own life. We need those warnings too, don't we? Romans 1, 20 to 21 says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave, him, gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Creation itself reminds each one of us that God is God and we are not. We are without excuse. God's word is full of warnings to the proud. We need no further than Jesus' brilliant little parable of the rich fool. And because he's so comfortable, forgets all about God and makes all his own decisions based on his own comfort and convenience until it's too late. And in our arrogance, we laugh and think, well, that's a great story that applies so well to other people. And that's probably what Belshazzar thought when he heard those stories about Nebuchadnezzar, isn't it? We need to be warned in our comfortable, complacent Western lives We need to be reminded that God is God, and we are not. We need to be warned from the examples of others and from the teaching in God's word. God warns the arrogant. Now, that should comfort us when we see the abuses of power and the blatant idolatry and blasphemy of our society. But it should also challenge us as we look at the plank of pride and self-sufficiency in our own eyes. So God warns the arrogant. And God also controls events, which should also encourage and challenge us. Now we've already seen, haven't we, that God orchestrated the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile of his people to Babylon. And here we see that God is in control of every detail of his world, from tiny, apparently insignificant events to the big picture of world history. Now, obviously, God is in control of the events that so terrify Belshazzar. The strange, disembodied hand and the writing of the wall shows that God, obviously and supernaturally, is getting involved in our world and directing its course. But what about the rest of the time, when life just keeps on? Some good days, some bad days, some really bad days. Is God God in control then? Or does he just get involved to sort out really bad situations like Belshazzar's outrageous blasphemy and the rest of the time it's just up to us? 
Well, here we see God's hand at work in every detail and circumstance. Now, the queen, which more likely is the queen mother, especially as Belshazzar's wives and concubines seem to be all at the feast, she just happens to be passing at exactly the moment that the writing appears on the wall. As an older woman, she can remember Daniel's role under Nebuchadnezzar and can point Belshazzar to him as someone who interprets dreams and can sort out riddles and difficult problems in verse 12. Also, the weird writing on the wall, same kind of thing. Daniel, despite the fact that he seems to be no longer a key official because Belshazzar doesn't know him, he is nearby, so can be summoned quickly to help out. Chance and circumstance. God is in control of them to fulfill his purposes. And God is in control of every circumstance of our lives too. Occasionally, we're privileged to see that. Someone you've been praying for and longing for an opportunity to share the gospel with or ask them to a church event, suddenly, by chance, is just sitting there next to you on the bus. Now, we had a wonderful coincidence at church recently. A member of our church, who became a Christian four years ago, former prisoner, drug addict, and everything else, just happened to bump into someone he last saw at school 30 years ago, who just happened to have finally reached a point in his life where he could see he needed help. He was suffering from PTSD from a time in the army and had a serious alcohol problem. Uh, Jason said, why don't you come to church? And he and his family have now been coming to church regularly for the past few months. Chance and circumstance. But God is also in charge of the huge stuff. God is in control of that too. Babylon, mighty Babylon. God was in control. The pagan Medes and Persians are used as God's means of judgment on Belshazzar. And his defeat spent the end, spelt the end of the Babylonian Empire. We are supposed to see that the timing is not a coincidence. When we read in verses 30 and 31, that very night... Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Big stuff, small stuff, and in-between stuff. Daniel's career. It would have been very easy for Daniel to have seen God as in control of events when everything was going so well. When he was the king's right-hand man, and he and his friends must have been very aware of divine protection as they stood for their God under tremendous pressure. But what about now, when Daniel seems to have been forgotten and sidelined? In chapter 8, it seems that Daniel still had an important role, at least until Belshazzar's third year in power, but not now. Was God still in control for Daniel when things weren't going so well? Well, yes. Daniel is in just the right place at just the right time, with just the right gifts and experience to be used by God to speak to Belshazzar. And God is in control of events today too. Yes, even the chaos that is Britain in 2019. Now we may very rarely see this anywhere nearly, anywhere near as clearly as we do in Daniel 5. But God does graciously give us wonderful answers to prayer an extraordinary coincidence is where we can see God at work in the details of our everyday lives. But throughout scripture, we can see that he holds all of human history in his hands 
and he does control events. Big stuff, small stuff, medium stuff, to fulfil his purposes. So what does that mean? Well, as we saw last time, for us as Christians, it means, again, Romans 8, 28 to 9, we know that in all things God works for the, God, the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. God sorts events out to make us more like Jesus. And it means the world as a whole. In Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, he said, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. The aim of global history is to bring all things under Christ's lordship, as everything was created to be. God is in control, and he will do it. We can trust him. Does that mean that I will not lose my job or my health? Does it mean that I will have an easy and hassle-free life? No. Look at Daniel. Look at Jesus. Daniel faced prejudice and persecution, and at this stage of his life had had years of not having the opportunity to use the many gifts that God had given him. How frustrating. But God was in control. And at the right time, and in the right place, probably when Daniel had never expected to be useful again, God used him to bring glory to the one true God. Jesus faced prejudice and persecution. We know almost nothing of the first 30 years of his life. But when the time was right, and in the most unexpected way, Jesus shows God's direct involvement in the details of this life to bring about his purposes by an unjust criminal's death. God is in control of events, but that does not mean that life will be easy, or that that we will always get to see what is going on. But it does mean that God will work out his purpose to make us more like Jesus and bring the world under Christ's lordship. And we do need to remember that, don't we? When we see our political system in ruins and no apparent and obvious way forward, We need to remember it when we get the worst news after test results, when the economy nosedives and our job collapses. Whatever your nightmare is, God is in control, whether we like it or not. And Belshazzar was not that keen. God warns the arrogant. God is in control of events. And God speaks through his servants. So we have the king, a whimpering and shivering wreck. He has seen a weird hand do some weird and incomprehensible writing. Total panic and confusion. His mother takes control and suggests Daniel can help. He's tried his wise men, but they are clueless. Daniel is his last resort. And Belshazzar kind of makes that point in verse 13. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? Not, are you Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's respected advisor? It's hardly complimentary. And Daniel speaks. This despised Jew, with no official standing, speaks. He doesn't do what Belshazzar expects. He doesn't explain the strange writing, yet... Daniel uses the opportunity to explain what God is like and what God expects. Daniel 
declares God's judgment on Belshazzar. Because despite the warnings, he has refused to repent of his arrogance and pride and to admit, like Nebuchadnezzar, that according to verse 21, that the Most High God is sovereign over all, all the kingdoms on earth, and sets over them anyone he wishes. In verse 23, Daniel reminds him, instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the got blitz from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, drank wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Now, once again, that is a very brave thing to say to a panicky king. But as we've seen, Daniel knows that God is his judge, so he had nothing to fear. Daniel speaks truth to power. He didn't have to. When you think about it, he could have said anything he liked. All he was asked to do was to explain the writing on the wall. And that was so cryptic, it could have meant anything. He could have said anything at all. I'm surprised he didn't. And I'm surprised that the wise men hadn't thought of that before. They could have got away with it. But knowing the king was going to die soon... Again, Daniel could have said something really quite complimentary, but he doesn't. He tells Belshazzar what God is like and what he expects and declares God's judgment on the king. Again, verse 22, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Therefore, verse 24, this is what the writing means. You will die and your kingdom will be destroyed. God speaks through his servant Daniel the despised Jewish outsider who proclaims judgment on temporarily the most powerful man on earth. And in the same but greater way, God spoke through Jesus, the despised Jewish outsider, as he proclaimed judgment on the religious and secular leaders of his day, as he fearlessly spoke truth to power, as he faced first the Pharisees, then Herod, and then Pilate. Daniel shows Belshazzar and anyone else listening that God is a just judge, that Belshazzar had warnings about the cost of his pride and the need for humility in the face of a sovereign God that he chose to ignore. And Jesus taught the same. The Sermon on the Mount calls on everyone to look at their hearts and to humbly accept how far each one of us has fallen short of God's perfect standards, to humble ourselves before him, to say sorry for our pride and self-reliance and our refusal to acknowledge him as the God of heaven and earth. God spoke through his servant Daniel and through the Lord Jesus to remind us of who he is and what we need to do about it. He is great. We are not. We need to repent and believe. Nebuchadnezzar, in his own way, after a pretty devastating lesson, did that. He was humbled and admitted that God was God and he was not. And that is what Belshazzar needed but failed to do. And that is what we should do. And in Jesus, we can understand something that even Daniel did not. That we can be fully accepted and forgiven. That just judgment of God turned away, even though we fail to humble ourselves fully before him. All because Jesus, that despised Jewish outsider, took that just punishment on himself in our place. So how did Belshazzar know this and understand the reason for his judgment? Because Daniel 
God's servant, told him. How did the Pharisees and the prostitutes and the tax collectors of Jesus' day know of God's awesomely high standards, the need to repent, and the offer of forgiveness? Because Jesus told them. How do we know today? Because we can read what God's servants have said in the past in the Bible, and we can hear God's word explained by others today. God is a speaking and explaining God. He spoke through his servants then, supremely through his son, so that we can know, like Belshazzar, what God is like and what he expects us to do. So we need to be reading and applying what was said then to our lives today. God has not changed. He is still the most high God, sovereign over all the kingdoms of earth. We need to acknowledge that and humble ourselves before him, now knowing that because of Jesus, we are guaranteed a wonderful welcome into his loving arms when we do. Only God's word will remind us that he is God. He is in control, not us. Not our boss, not our kids, not Donald Trump or Boris Johnson. Only God's word will remind us that he is in control, not nobody or nothing. That the apparent chaos out there and in my life is all in his grasp, working towards the perfect fulfilment of his perfect plan of me being more like Jesus and the world coming under his headship. So are you listening to God's servants speak to you through his word? Are you making sure you find time each day to read it? Praying for God's help to understand it and live it out. It's tough, isn't it? Life is so busy, as we heard. As we micromanage our own lives and those of our kids and anyone else around us. Isn't that what women are supposed to do? Running around, trying to be in control, trying to run our own lives in our own way. We need that daily reminder that God is God and we are not. We need to humble ourselves and let him take charge. We are so fickle and so proud that without that daily reminder, we will forget. Belshazzar had a one-to-one with Daniel. With God's word in our hands, we can have a one-to-one with loads of God's servants who will all speak his truth into our situation sometimes just as penetratingly. So read it. God spoke through his servants in the past in the Bible, and we are hugely privileged to be able to read what he has to say to us today. But if we trust in the Lord Jesus, we are his servants too, and we can speak for him too, particularly to those like Belshazzar, who would never open a Bible in a million years. Not by having some great new revelation, but by telling others what God is like and what he expects. By telling others that God is the Lord of heaven and earth, we are not. So we need to be humble and turn to him. And that is really hard to do because that hits all of us where it hurts. It hurts our pride, our self-esteem to acknowledge that God is God, not us. And it's rarely a popular message. Bizarrely, Daniel is rewarded for this message by getting a promotion and a new outfit. And in the next chapter, we see that acknowledging God is God ends, him, ends with him up uh, in a, a lion's den. From the Bible, church history, and Jesus' life, that is a more likely outcome. Okay, so in London today, it might just be that I get the cold shoulder or an embarrassed 
shrug if I dare to share the gospel with somebody. It might not be a lion's den situation, but it is still hard to do. God does speak through his servants, and he can speak through us. If we are willing, like Daniel, to be used to speak for him. We need to be prepared, as Daniel was. So when that coincidence happens, and you are sitting next to that woman on the bus that you've been praying to sit next to, do you chat about the weather? Mention something a bit vague about church? Or do you gently and sensitively go a bit further and speak of Jesus? Do you have a gospel outline ready in your head? If someone comes to you, like Belshazzar with Daniel, asking for your help to understand what's going on in the world or in their life, are you able to share with, God, with others what God has done in your life so that you can point your friends and colleagues to the Lord of heaven and earth? So Daniel was willing, and Daniel spoke. God speaks through his servants. Now, the hard thing for Daniel was that message he had to speak was one of judgment. And although wonderfully, we do now have a great message of salvation and forgiveness, for those who repent and believe, but the final thing that we find out from this passage is that God does act in judgment then and now. So finally, God acts in judgment. The end of this passage is brutal. In verse 1, we have a king eating and drinking and being merry with his nobles. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. Daniel's sermon has made it very clear that this is what he deserves. His deciphering of the inscription of the wall shows that this is how it will end. But verse 30 seems very stark, very blunt, very final. Belshazzar has been weighed on God's scales and found wanting. And as we know from Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death. Eternal separation from God, the source of all life. Bam. The end. Despite his power, his wealth, his nobles, Belshazzar, just like everyone else who's ever lived, cannot escape death and cannot avoid God's judgment. Now, this might be taking things too far, but might the king's reward to Daniel after his damning speech be a final attempt to bargain with Daniel, to bargain with God, to buy him off by showing how rich and, final, rich and powerful he is, a final show of desperate arrogance? Maybe, maybe not. But if it is, it doesn't work. It never does. God acts in judgment against those who do not acknowledge him, whether they're king of Babylonians or a kindergarten teacher from Brixton. God acts in judgment. Now, the Bible is full of events like this, where death and judgment are immediate and obvious. Acts chapter 12, where Herod is struck down and eaten by worms when he doesn't acknowledge God. Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira die immediately following their attempt to deceive the apostles. The point is not that the rest get away with it. But these immediate acts of judgment show that God's promise of future judgment for everyone else is guaranteed. Now, it's good to know, isn't it, that God judges blaspheming tyrants like Belshazzar. The evil and the arrogant who make our world and our lives miserable will not get away with it. God sees and God acts. It means we don't have to. God is the judge. He will put things right. In the meantime, that makes it possible for us to turn the other cheek and love our enemies rather than plot revenge and bear grudges. God will act in judgment. That is sometimes the good news we need to hear. But it is also very bad news for those we know and love who have not yet acknowledged that God is God and they are not and humbled themselves before him. 
Because we know the good news of Jesus, it's tempting to gloss over the bad news of judgment, isn't it? I know it is for me. But the good news of Jesus is the good news of rescue from that judgment. It makes no sense without it. God does act in judgment, and it's only by accepting God's judgment falling on Jesus rather than on us that we can escape it. So we need to be loving enough to share that message of judgment with our friends as we share the message of salvation through Jesus. We need to be warning them as Belshazzar was warned. As we do, we can be sure that God is in control, perfectly capable of working things out for his good purposes as we dare to speak. We don't have to be afraid, but we do need to speak like Daniel into those situations because the world needs to know, as Belshazzar learnt, that God did and does and will act in judgment. So where is God when those with the power ignore and despise us? Where's God when the world seems in such a mess? Where's God when our own little personal world seems such a mess? Well, he's right where he's always been. He is running the universe in total control of every atom. He sees what is going on and he acts to fulfill his perfect purposes, to make his people more like his son and to bring all things in creation under his lordship. We can know, which Daniel didn't, that he also understands this messed up world we live in as he lived and suffered and died here, was treated unfairly by the powerful and tortured and killed by an arrogant religious and political establishment. Was God in control then? You bet he was. Working in power politics and evil intentions of others to start that process of recreating this broken world through the death of the Lord Jesus. God is in control. Let's trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our world is a mess, as was Daniel's. Thank you so much that you are in control. Thank you so much that you see and know and judge. And I pray that you would help us to stand firm and to speak out. For Jesus' sake. Amen.